0: Hey, y'all, I want to take a minute uh, before Matt gets up here and introduce you to Matt Sutton. He is a friend of mine. Our friendship started about 18 months ago, and uh, he is actually the uh, Biltmore East kids pastor. Something you may not know about Asheville is we have a unique uh, community here of pastors uh, that are friends. And, and Matt and I are friends, and as I've gotten to know him, I thought it would be a treat for you to hear him preach. And so without further ado, I give you Matt Sutton. Hey, uh, Fellowship Asheville. I'm um, honored to be here today. Uh, I really am your, your pastor, Fred, over the last year and a half has really become a good uh, friend of mine and a mentor. And so when he asked me if I wanted to uh, open the Word of God with you, I, I was honored to do it. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1st. Samuel chapter 17. It's a really famous story about David and Goliath. Um, We know it well. And and, um, continuing in the summer series, Summer Essentials, um, I knew that this topic this week was fear. And so I thought, man, what a great story to talk about overcoming fear. Um, Traditionally, you know, the the story has been where, you know, kind of told and taught, at least to me, like in vacation Bible school and Sunday school growing up of like, hey, you can be David and here are the stones you can pick up, and here's the way that you can defeat your Goliaths, and stuff like that. But, but really, um, when you look at the story and you really get into it, it, it tells a little bit of a different narrative. Um, and it's a big one to talk about right now because many of us are having to face some of our worst fears. You know, we really are a culture that's not very courageous. Uh, we like to think we are, and sometimes there are those of us in our nation and our culture and society who do some really courageous and really great things. And we reward that, as we should. But by and large, like, as a, a people, uh, we really, like, kind of create structures and put things in our lives to deal with our worst fears. Um, like, for instance, how many of us have a credit card that we don't even do anything with? It just, like, sits in our drawer, or, like, it sits in the back of our wallet, and it's, like, an emergency just in case, <laughs> right? Like, Like, the fear is that this will happen. And so we have this in case. Or, like, we've built up a certain amount of, like, in our savings out of fear that like we'll lose our job or that this will happen or that'll happen. And, and that's okay. It's going to be wise, but, but sometimes um, fear actually like overcomes prudence. And instead of thinking through what we're doing and thinking through our actions and taking care of the resources we've been given, we, we just create all these structures and systems in life to take care of our worst fears. So, so cause you know, talking about fear and talking about this story, what we really see is we see two different ways that cultures handle fear. You know, the Philistines had just gotten defeated by Israel numerous times, by Saul, then Jonathan, then Saul again. And so they thought, well, this time we'll go up against Israel, but this, instead of going head-to-head with them, because that normally ends pretty poorly, um, we're going to go and we're going to camp out across the valley from them. It's like a mile away. So they camp out like a mile away and, and they get this one dude that they're like, we're going to send him out every day. They call him his champion. And we're going, to go out every, we're going to send Goliath out. He's this giant guy. He's got all this armor and stuff. We're going to send him out. And that's how we're going to confront our fears. We're going to send Goliath out to fight this for us. Well, then you have Israel. And we'll see how they really confront their fears. But, but when they're confronted with Goliath, they hide. And so let's just, we're going to look at the first few verses and kind of take it bit by bit. So let's look uh, in in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And and they were at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Soko and Azekah in the Ephes-Demim. And and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. They drew up the in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion... Named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. So, different kind of interpretations we've always kind of heard growing up, or I did at least. Like he was like eight foot tall. Some people say he was over nine foot tall. Um, most recently, they kind of looked at like what that height measurement means, and it could mean like six foot nine. Either way, he's huge. All right, so, like either way, back then, if you're six nine, you're like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like you're you're just super super tall. But uh, verse five, he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulder. The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam and a spear head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shil- shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So here's one way that the Philistines handled their fear. They sent out a guy and what, what kind of they did, and there's a way to handle fear this way is you just kind of like build up enough and like psych yourself up enough to where you just kind of face it head on. You see this a lot with like uh, growing up in this area. I grew up not far from here and so we would go hiking and swimming a lot in the Linville Gorge and there's one spot in the Linville Gorge where we would go in high school and college and stuff and we'd jump off a waterfall into the river. So every now and then we'd take a new friend or we'd take you know somebody and they would be they'd be afraid and they'd stand up and and then eventually, you know, they'd see everybody do it, and they'd kind of start psyching themselves up. And then they kind of like, <sighs> and they like, all right, count, count to three. And you count one, two, three, go. And then they're like, all right, actually count to five. So you're like, oh, okay, all right, you know, count to five. And then they like psych themselves up, and they jump, and they jump in the water, and everything's fine. And, and you know, they realized they didn't have anything to be afraid of. So the the Philistines kind of did this on, a, on like a more serious level. Uh, because what happened was... Um, in the Bible, when when you get very specific details, like you get Goliath's height, uh, you get the exact description of his armor, uh, you get you know exactly what he said, his his weapons were spelled out in detail. You know, we don't always get really descriptive um, details in stories like this. So when we do, we need to pay attention and kind of figure out what it means. See, the Philistines uh, were kind of the first ones to lead in the technology of the Bronze Age. Bronze was this like brand new, top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art metal that was really dense and really strong and really heavy and can be used to make these great weapons. I mean, weapons and armor that were almost indestructible to them at the time. And so for them to, for them to send Goliath out, they basically psyched themselves up. So, well, okay, we've been beaten, you know, by, by the king, by the king's son and the king again. And so we'll get this guy. Yeah, here's what we'll do. We'll get this guy because it's an honor-shame culture back then. So it's a little different thinking. So they're like, okay, well, we can't show ourselves weak. So we'll just send out like our biggest dude. And even if we fail, like, it'll be okay. It's just one guy, you know, so, so that, that's fine. Well, we're far enough away to where we can run away. But here's what happened. We, we find out when you really look at this, the first few verses and the way Goliath treated the Israelites, we see a way that fear was playing into the Israelites' lives and in the way their beliefs. See, the, the technical definition for fear, it's an unpleasant emotion that's caused by the belief that someone or something will cause you harm. So what happens is fear comes and attacks. And you look at the way Goliath is presented in the story, and you look at the things that he said. And what's happening is he starts to attack their fundamental belief that they've built their life on. So that's what happens here. So so look what he does. Fear plays on our wrong ideas of God. In verse 3, he says... They, it says that the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and there's a valley between them. And this is often how people would fight, but it, it stands uh, in, for significance in this story. Because if you remember, if you, if you look back in your Bibles or forward in your Bibles to Second to Kings chapter 20, uh, you see that, that the people around Israel thought that the God was the God of hills. Right. They talk about hills a lot in the Bible, like Moses went up on top of a mountain and talked to God there. Elijah went up and that's where he heard God, you know, going to the top of a mountain to meet God was really important in the history of Israel. And then, of course, we know Jesus went up to the Sermon on the Mount. He went up to the mountain for the transfiguration. He went up to the mountain to die on the cross. So so it's a really important thing. So the people around him just thought, oh, man, this God meets with people on top of the hills. So we'll get him down in the valley. Like, like we'll get them away from where their God works and then we'll start attacking them. So they had a wrong idea of God and they played on that. That's, that's something that fear played into for them. And the second thing that fear does is that, that fears pulls out our idols. See, So when you're at Israel and you're sitting there and you see a guy come down who's head and shoulders taller than everyone else, whether he's six foot nine or whether he's nine foot four, whatever different scholars say, he's head and shoulders against everyone else. He's a champion. The word champion literally means the man who stands between. And so who's the guy so far for Israel they begged God for? God anointed, put in place, who stood head and shoulders above everyone else and was supposed to be the one who stood in the middle for his people. And that's Saul. See, the people had so idolized the idea of having a king to be like the nations around them, and God gave them what they were looking for. They got a guy who was head and shoulders above the rest, a really physically like, demanding dude, right? He, the Bible's description of him, that he was handsome and he stood head and shoulders above the rest. So if there's one guy who comes out and he's, and he's tall and he's got full bronze armor on and stuff like that, who's the one dude Israel expected to go meet him? It was Saul. So when Goliath goes out and he calls out Saul, he's resembling Saul in the story. And he confronts their idol. The third thing that fear does to us is that it displays our misplaced trust. So like I said a minute ago, the, the Philistines were kind of like ahead of the game when it came to armor and it came to weapons and it came to metalworking and stuff like that. So they believed that this dude being totally covered head to toe in bronze, he was like indestructible. See, they, they were relying so much on the technology of the day, the advances of culture, where they stood as opposed to the rest of the nations around them, they thought if we put our trust in this guy and we put our trust in the things that we've created with our own hands, then we'll win. That's how we'll handle our fear. But see, fear plays on that because Saul was also had a bronze helmet and coat of mail that he tries to put on David later, if you remember the story. So fear displays our misplaced trust. And then the fourth thing that fear does to confront our core belief is that it distorts our reality. Did you catch what Goliath called the Israelites? He called them servants of Saul. He didn't call them servants of God. He didn't call them servants of the God of Israel. He didn't call them servants of Israel. He called them servants of Saul. So he was taking all of those things, their misplaced trust, their idols, their wrong ideas about God, and they were, he was distorting their reality. See, that, that fear, that definition of fear is important. That, that fear is an unpleasant emotion based on the belief that something or someone can cause you harm. He was playing on that. And that's what fear does to us. Fear confronts our idols. He says, hey, what if, what if you lose your job? That's where fear comes from. Starts making you ask those questions that confront your idols, that, that pulls out your wrong ideas of God. Hey, what if God won't forgive you for that? Hey, what what happens if the, you know, put your trust in the educational system? What happens if your kids aren't successful? What do you do? And your belief starts to crumble. And that's what happened to the Israelites. Look Look at verse 11, what happened. It says, and when Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. See, I'm not going to read all of the chapter. I'm going to point out some verses here, but we see through basically from 11 through verse 30 and into chapter, verse 38, we see that at the end of the day, Israel's biggest obstacle was not Goliath. It wasn't. Like If you just look at the, the story objectively, like Goliath was destroyed with a sling and a stone. <laughs> he wasn't their biggest obstacle. The biggest obstacle in the life of God's people is their lack of trust in God. The Israelites' biggest obstacle was not Goliath. It was their lack of trust. I mean, right there it says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I mean, look at what uh, David's brother said to him. So David, here he is, he's on the farm with his dad, and his dad, you know, they've been there 40 days and 40 nights with Goliath coming out and and calling them out and taunting them. So uh, Jesse gets David Uh, He's out in the field with the sheep and he packs up some cheese and bread and sends it to his brothers. He gets out there and David's like walking around. He's like, what in the world? You guys know the story. He's walking around. He's like, what's this guy saying? What is he like? Who is anybody going to talk to this guy? Like what happens if someone does this? Because David's walking in. You got to remember from chapter 16, God saw what was inside of David. And see, David is portrayed as someone who's able to see the situation like God does. Because he walks up and he's like, wait a minute, this is This is the biggest issue. This is what's holding us up. It's just this guy like, okay, so the guy who kills him, what does he get? (laughs) Like, David wants to know. He's like, this is an easy win for me, (laughs) right? Like I'm I'm about to get a, get an easy paycheck here. So he's like, what's the thing? So in verse 28, we see, we see um, now Eliab, his oldest brother, uh, when he heard him speak to the men and his anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness i know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down to see the battle so so the brother here you got to imagine that that this brother he was he's the oldest okay he's the one that when samuel saw him he thought okay surely this is the guy like this is the king he's good looking he's he's tall he's athletic looking like he's got to be it but instead it goes all the way down the line to david and so when he comes and, and eli is like hey what are you man what are you doing here like when when he says like what you do you what did you do with those few sheep, okay, like like that is such a cut down, like, all right, yeah, right, that old preacher anointed you king, whatever, you're not going to rule a nation, you, you just look after a few little sheep. Of course, you know, David was faithful with them and stuff, but Eli, that's just one more way that they showed the the situation of their heart. I mean, their, their idols were being confronted, uh, their ideas of God were totally wrong, and they were being put on display, their, their identity was being questioned. And so then... Um, Man, look at verse 37 and 38. So, so eventually what David said, he said, hey, listen, I, I'm an, I'll fight the guy. Like, I'll go out. I, I mean, I've killed bears and I've killed lions and stuff. I'll fight him. Word gets back to Saul. So Saul call, calls him into his tent. And David said to Saul, he said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, Go, and the Lord be with you. I mean, that's almost like a sarcastic remark. Like, well, all right, well, fine. We're like, good luck, kid. Like, better you than me. And then Saul, listen to what Saul did. He clothed David with his armor. And he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. So that just kind of shows where Paul's heart is in all this. Like he said, Hey, go, Lord be with you. I, I believe you. But hey, also maybe you should put on this armor. Like, hey, maybe maybe maybe, you know, the the, the doubts crept up in Saul a little bit. And he thought, you know, David, what is that actually gonna do it? You know, here comes this little shepherd kid. He's called, you know, the smallest guy. He's not really this like physically, like, impressive person. And so Saul, he, he puts his trust back where it's not supposed to be. And, and his fundamental fear had so shaken his belief, that, that belief that it could cause him harm had, had been shaken. That reality that he's based his trust on is now in that technology, that same technology the Philistines were using in, in the systems and the structures they had created. And so we just see the biggest obstacle Once again, it's not Goliath, it's their lack of trust. And that's the same for us. Those biggest fears that we get confronted with, it no longer becomes an issue of, are you actually concerned that you're gonna lose your job? It becomes, man, where's my money gonna come from? It becomes, it's actually, you boil it down to a question of security. Uh, You say, man, what if my my kid, what if he goes off to college and terrible things happen and he becomes this terrible person? No, your, your lack of trust is in the hands of God that holds your kids. See, you can boil it down to that, that, that redefining and, and shaking up of your reality and the belief that you place in that reality. And so that's why in the story we can't be David. There's no way we can be David. I mean, we need someone. We, Israel, Saul sends out his champion, the champion to meet the Philistine's champion. The Philistine handled their fear one way and finally... By, by whatever a stroke of luck or, or God-ordained, whatever you want to call it, Israel finally places their trust in the most unlikely Savior possible. And he goes out to stand in between, and we know that he conquers Goliath. He threw the stone, that sunk into his head. Goliath fell over, he took the sword and killed him. And so well, how could we ever be David? No, we, we identify with the scared people who are hiding in their tents. We identify with the people whose belief gets shaken up and our trust in God falls short and we desperately need someone to to ride in with provision and destroy our greatest giver of fear, which is sin and death. How could we ever be David when David comes as the obedient son, the one who obeys his father to come and bring provision? He's the faithful shepherd, those sheep he left with the hired hands. He's the champion, the one who came to stand in between the fear and death. He's the one who came victorious without ever picking up a sword. He's the one who was the unexpected representative on our behalf. He's the one who was able to see things the way God does. See, we're not David. Jesus is David. David is a representation of Jesus who comes and is able to understand, no, hey, God's got this. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. There was no question in God's mind whenever Peter denied him that his plan was still going to be faithfully brought out. See, Jesus said, God, if there's any other way, let this happen. But it's not my will, it's your will that be done. See, Jesus was the one who was able to come with no armor on. He was the one that was able to come without a sword on his side or a spear in his hand. He came as the good shepherd. He came as the faithful servant. He came and He suffered and He killed death in the most unexpected way. See, He came and He died on a cross for our sins. And then He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death forever. And now we can look to Him as our victor. And so we say, okay, well, well the obstacle is, is overcoming my lack of trust. How do I do that? Well, look at how the Israelites respond. It's actually a great response. Verses 52 through 54. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put his armor in his tent. So what you do is, whenever you recognize that Jesus is the one who has come to take our place, he's the one who's come to stand in between us in the ultimate fear of sin and death, and he conquers, well, we react like they do. They follow their king. <laughs> they, they got up and with shouts of joy, they chased after the Philistines behind David. I mean, they, they followed after him. So what we do is we recognize Jesus died for us. He took away any kind of fear we could ever have. Like, who's afraid of losing your job if you know that ultimately God is a good father who knows how to give good gifts? I mean, how can you ever be scared of your kid never coming back to the Lord if you know that he ultimately is the father who welcomed the son back and gave him his robe and his ring. I mean, how could we ever allow fears to shake our fundamental belief of who God is if we've seen what Jesus has done? So if, as we follow Jesus' example, we say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And then you rest in that. See, because look what, look what they did. They, they went, they took it, and then David, he took the head of the Philistine and he, and he brought it to Jerusalem. Then he took the armor and he put it in his tent. So they came back victorious. They came back and they enjoyed the spoils of David's victory. The, the Israelites got to do that, and now we get to enjoy the spoils of the victory of Jesus on the cross and from the grave. And that's rest. Jesus, he said, hey, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. And learn from me. Take my yoke because it's easy and light, and take it from me, and I will give you rest. See, we enjoy the spoils of Jesus' victory when we're able to rest in Him. And, so, and you might be saying, like, well, that all sounds well and good, but listen, I don't know how to re-. like I don't know how to rest in Jesus. It's one thing to say I believe this stuff, but it's another thing to do it. Well, hey, what, what you do is you start creating some practices in your life to remind yourself of the goodness of God. To, to, to reconfirm and solidify your trust in God. And the one easy way to do that is just to get in the Word. We start reading through the Psalms. Start reading stories like this. I'm, I'm sure that you could find there's, there's tons of great Bible reading plans out there. Go through the New Testament in 90 days and end with the book that you guys just studied for the last six months or whatever, the book of Revelation, which is all about Jesus being victorious. And, saturate your mind with the Word of God. And then practice prayer. Practice time where you are speaking back to God and taking all things to Him. Peter wrote in his letter, he said, cast your cares and anxieties on the Lord because He cares for you. And take those things to God. If you're like me, you have a hard time kind of focusing and getting your mind quiet. When you're trying to pray and something pops up, say, God, I don't know why that's there, but obviously it's giving me worry. I'm giving it to you because you care for me. Man, make it a habit to take the burdens, take the things that you can't handle, those fears, and just give them to God. Let Him be victorious. And then you just rest in His victory. Man, take time. One, one thing that we have lost in our culture is the practice of silence and solitude. Man, there's no better way to rest than to rest, to not do anything. Man, start, start today. Start today. Get alone, get in a room somewhere, whatever, set a timer for two minutes. And just try to think of nothing other than asking God, "What are you saying to me?" And just listen. Just rest. Rest in the victory that He's given you. Rest in the goodness. And so today, maybe maybe right now is the time. Maybe you've always thought, man, I thought I had to be David. I thought I had to be the one going out and destroying these giants or these fears or whatever it is in life. And man, you heard this you heard this message. You heard the message that Jesus, ultimately, has taken care of all worries and fears. And maybe for the first time that's you and you need to start following King Jesus today. And all you have to do is say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for trying to handle the fears of my life. I'm sorry for trying to handle things and, and making a mess of it. I'm, I'm gonna, I wanna turn away from those things and I wanna follow you. I wanna rest. I wanna know what it means to rest in your goodness and to follow King Jesus. You can say that to him right now and start following him. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for how good you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for coming and conquering the things that we cannot conquer. Thank you for coming and solidifying our trust in you by sending your son, Jesus, to defeat all enemies, God. The enemies of sin and death that are ultimate sources of fear. Lord, I pray that as we look to you, as we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, that our faith and our belief will be solid in the ultimate reality that you're a good Father who loves us and are working all things together for the good, those of us who've been called according to your purpose. Lord, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.